This is why small business matters from Northumbria University. Supporting small businesses with the Help to Grow Management Programme. Welcome back to Why Small Business Matters, brought to you by the Help to Grow Management team at Northumbria University. In this episode, we ask the question, is it true that being a good person makes you a successful one? I mean, one of our brand values for any of your listeners that are obviously here or from the northeast is to be canny. That to us and that kind of likability factor is also actually one of our superpowers. That's the voice of Raman Segal, the floundering founder founder and global president of Ram Marketing and best-selling author. He's also host of Molecule to Market, the pharma and biotech podcast. From Newcastle and a graduate of Northumbria University, Raman started the company in 2009. The business is now a multi-million dollar global marketing and content agency with a focus on life sciences. It's described as the agency for ambitious companies looking to raise profile and to generate leads in the pharma and biotech sector. Welcome, Raman. Tell me a little bit, Raman, about your business, about Ram Marketing. Uh, yeah, sure. Well, firstly, thanks for thanks for having me here, Sarah. It's a, a pleasure to be speaking with you today. So, I mean, Ram Marketing is a business. We're effectively a full-service kind of content, digital marketing and creative agency um, that spe- specifically supports ambitious businesses that operate in the kind of bio and pharmatech ecosystem. What makes us even more niche is it's not necessarily working with what you'd expect as pharma companies where we are promoting drug products or, or anything like that. It's actually in the supply chain of the sector, which is a, a huge $100 billion plus uh, global supply system of you know developers, manufacturers, packaging companies, analytical companies. So really technical scientific b2b companies so we support those companies in helping them kind of get noticed raise profile generate leads um specifically like amongst the community of of drug development type companies so if i give you the example of a covid vaccine so assuming you've had a covid vaccine there's a high chance our clients would have been involved in helping develop make package test and ultimately get that product safely to the pharmacist or doctor that administered it. So that's the kind of space that that we play. I've got so much to to ask you today, but I'm going to throw one question at you first. Um, In the introduction to your book, which we'll come on to later, your great friend and mentor, uh, Fiona, who's also an investor in your business, describes you as a really good person. Um, And she saw, I think, a spark in you very early on when you were um, helping her company. But is it true that being a good person can make you a successful one? What do you think about that? That's a really good question. I mean, I can I can only speak, I suppose, from my own perspective. And I suppose being a good person has definitely, which probably comes from the way I was brought up, the values instilled from my parents and my family, etc., um, and I believe the as a consequence of that, I think we've always looked after people really, really well. So in terms of the manner in which we engage with our team and look after them and really care for them, I think that comes from probably just stems from just being a good person and treating people the right way. And I suppose where it extends is also doing that with clients and other stakeholders where just a simple moral compass of doing the right thing, being transparent, being honest, just being nice to people. I mean, it's not not overly 
complicated in that sense. I think it's definitely, it's definitely contributed to my success, but also I think how we differentiate the business, interestingly enough. I mean, one of our brand values, which um, for any of your listeners that are obviously here or from the Northeast is to be canny. You know, so we talk in our business about be canny and it's fun because we have a US team and we have to explain what canny means. And, and that to us and that kind of likability factor is also a, actually one of our superpowers when we compete against agencies all over the world. And so it makes us come across as a different type of organization, the type of company you want to work for, the type of people you want to engage with. So I think it's definitely, it's it's been a, a fundamental pillar to, I think, some of the success that I've been able to have and, and also the kind of business that we've, that we've done as well. I'd like to talk about your book because it's 24 lessons on how to refocus your business and be a better yourself, be better. Um, I think it's a great self-help book. I don't run a business, but um, I took a lot from it. And I'm not going to talk about the entire book because I think our listeners should go out and buy it. But some of the fantastic lines I picked up very early on were, don't moan about taxes. Taxes are proof that you're making money. And I just thought that was a really, you know, interesting point to make very early on in the book. But the other one that really stands out is imagine meeting the person you could have become. Can you unpick that for me? Because it's it's quite a complex idea, really. Yeah, it is. And, and I stumbled across it years ago when I, I was listening to a podcast and it really it jolted my brain when I heard it because I kind of had this kind of I projected, you know, being on the my last day at earth, earth in, in effectively at the gates of heaven or whatever, whatever your belief system is, you know, um, basically meeting a much better version of myself, that kind of like, hey, dude, like you could have become me and you've ended up like that, you know, and it, like playing that out being, oh my God, like I, I do not want to get to the end of my life and realise that I have not given it my all and I've not become the best version of myself and the repercussions of what that means, you know, being a, the best dad you can be, being the best husband, being the best brother, son, etc., being the best in business and leaders. And I think for me, what what it when I read it, it ended I ended up going down a path of actually almost re engineering where I wanted to get in life and what it what I wanted to do based on what would I regret. So because what that statement does is it projects you into the future and it almost makes you think, if I haven't done X, Y, and Z, I'm gonna be really devastated. And so one of the examples when we did that or when I did that was I really wanted to live in a different country. I wanted to take my family and then the opportunity came up to go move to the US and you know take remarketing to a new continent. And I remember just thinking, you know what, if I don't do this, I'm gonna regret not doing this decision. I'll be at the, you know, the last day of my life and you know, that version of myself would have went and lived in a different country, et cetera. And so and don't get me wrong, I don't make every single decision in life via that because, you know, it's it's not practical. But I think some key decisions in your life about what you'll really regret, of, 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 it's really helped me personally. And it's something that I think ultimately it's right at the start of the book. And the reason it's right at the start of the book is then a kind of a, a framework for, right, well, write some of this stuff down for you personally and your business, which is like, what are you going to regret if you don't, What what you know, if you go to the future and think about yourself in the future, um, what will you regret? And that then effectively re-engineers some key goals and milestones. And that's that's how it worked uh, for me anyway. 
And I think what you talk about, the common themes that run through it are um, courage, discipline and focus, which is what we hear very much when we, when we talk to founders and what they need to do in their business. But you also describe being intentional. How has that helped being intentional in your business? I think it, especially in the early days of running a business, especially a startup, is you kind of just, you just crack on and you just do it. And it, it for a lot of people, it just organically takes off. But it can happen kind of in a very chaotic, unplanned way. I'm not talking about the kind of, you know, startups that get a bunch of money and they have a very clear plan of action. They spend other people's money. I'm talking about the vast majority of kind of bootstrapped entrepreneurs that start their business because they've they've either got an idea or they've seen an opportunity or they're trying to solve a problem. And so for me, I, I certainly had several years of that, but kind of found myself like wandering in directions that I didn't necessarily want to go or that wasn't my chosen route and so I think for me being intentional is as much about your business as it is your life like if you don't if you don't make the time to do things that are important if you don't dedicate the time to do what's important for your business or work on certain projects um, then it's not going to happen by accident and again you're going to end up with a regret situation which is well why did why did I not end up buying that car why did we not, I not end up living in that country why did we not end up doing this doing that I've literally just come back from the world cup and that was a very intentional decision which is you know god knows what's ahead in life but I want to go to the world cup at some point in my life I want to go see England play and I'm going to go with my best friends and that's what we did it was a very intentional decision to be like let's go do something that we're all going to their memories there it's an experience something we're never going to forget and we're never going to regret um, as opposed to being in my 60s thinking, oh, I've always wanted to go to a World Cup. So I'm almost like, I think, again, going back to that projecting into the future, you can start to work out what you really, really want to do. Um, and so that leads you to, just for me anyway, just being a lot more intentional with the bigger picture stuff, but also just your time. You know, one thing in the book I didn't go into, which is probably one for, for book number two, is probably just around... Being intentional with your time, I think, you know, there are a lot of productivity books out there, but, you know, I'm obsessed with making sure my time is spent in the right place at work in particular. So, you know, I have a handful of key things that I do not in the businesses I operate in. And I try and make sure that, you know, so one of the things is make sure that we, I have a profile in out there which actually benefits the business it benefits the book and all that kind of stuff so being here with you talking to you t today sarah is intentional it's not like oh well, i'll do this it sounds great there's an element which is i've got a connection with northumbria university and actually i just feel like it's a good thing to do and it's a bit of giving back so that that aligns to the, the right thing to do as well but you know you and i wouldn't be on this call if it if i felt like it's not if, if it was just an accident and so I think a lot of people become busy fools and just like go from pillar to post and so certainly in my experience the people that have been really successful around me have had clear plans and they've executed them really really well and they've basically just said right ignore the rest and there's, a, there's, a, there's a great book by Derek Sivers called you know I think it's hell um hell yeah or, or something like that or hell no I can't remember what word it is but it's you know it's effectively if it's not a hell yeah it's a no so it makes you really think about the decisions that you make. There are other great books about, you know, just say the no to everything. Um, I'm not that extreme, but there's a lot of truth in, you know, people tend to get overwhelmed because they just say yes to everything and they just, they can't, 
they haven't got the discipline back to the word you used to say no so i think the intentionality and the discipline thing worked really really kind of important together and if i extend that into my personal life you know i've in the last few years run a few marathons and in order to run a marathon you've got to train incredibly hard and it's not only difficult it's incredibly time consuming so in making those decisions to decide to go for a three-hour run on a sunday morning that's at the expense of something else and so again that intentionality is an opportunity cost kind of um decision that okay I'm not going to go out and have five pints on Saturday night because I'm not going to run three hours <laughs> the next morning. So, and, and actually, you know, it's a gift you get back and you can use that time effectively. So that's just some of the, I suppose, the not the lighter half, but some of the kind of more nuanced and kind of tactical stuff where I think intentionality is, is really important. And talking of weighing stuff up, you talk about the owner's curse. So balancing being the protective businessman and, and getting on with the day-to-day and, and, and pushing your business forward but with the ambitious entrepreneurial character. But you describe the former attitude as being a bit riskier. Yeah, I think being... I think there's a lot of examples out there of companies that have got to a level of success and they've opted to stick instead of twist. And it assumes everything's going to stay the same. And in reality, (laughs) the world has told us anything over the last few years, you know, Nothing tends to stay the same, like things change constantly. And so high profile brands, you look at uh, Blockbuster Video and Nokia and brands that were very successful in their heyday, but decided actually we are just going to milk this cow forever. And what tends to happen is something comes along, which then surpasses the incumbent in the manner in which they do things. And so it's a little bit about that, which is actually, you know, standing still, I always think is much riskier than than moving forward because you don't know what's behind you, if that makes sense. And so for me, that's one of the biggest challenges, I think, when you run a business is if you get to a certain level of success, you almost want to put your hands around it and ring fence it and be like, okay, let's just keep doing this forever and ever. Um, and that, that might be fine. Like, you know, for us, for example, like we work in a specific market, we have no intention of going to do you know food or retail or law or whatever like we're intentional about that but what we're equally as intentional about is in constantly improving you know we have a phrase in our business in our we, we present to our team every quarter and it's on all of our slide decks and it's you know be better than yesterday i think it's actually in the book and so that whole that whole idea is like constantly be improving guys like constantly be improving yourself constantly improving the work constantly improving how we do things and as a consequence we are always collectively nudging forward obviously in the early days of a business you can do it at a much more accelerated pace but, you know we're at 75 people now at remarketing so it's a bit more di- difficult um it's interesting i've got that business which is now a bit more established and i have a talent business in the life science sector called lead candidate and that's only a handful of people that business can pivot and change and move so quickly because it doesn't have it doesn't have to communicate 50 times to 70 odd people and so that would, that's the way I look at it because, you know, a lot of, particularly here in the Northeast, I think one of my frustrations with Northeast businesses in particular is um, a lot of them are just lifestyle businesses when they be, could become a lot more. Um, I, I remember specifically a crossroads, which was, you know, the Entrepreneurs Forum call it the million pound business, you know, when a business is making or turning over a million quid a year, the owners can make really good money. So any, whatever the type of business is, 
even if you're making 10% margin, you're making a hundred grand a year or whatever. You know, but actually high value business, you could be, you know, you could be profiting three, four, 500 grand a year on, on that type of revenue. And then that's enabled your life in a way that you probably could not have imagined. And then it gets tricky for an owner at that point to be like, okay, do I roll the dice even more? In my experience, I decided to roll the dice <laughs> and that worked out and continues to work out well for me. It's not right for everyone. And I, you know, I think, Rolling the dice actually sounds very risky, but I think if you take calculated risks that are in line with where you see the opportunities, so it's not it's not like just you know willy nilly employing fifty people overnight. It's just being very back to the word intentional about what you're trying to achieve. So that's some of my thoughts. I think around on the, the kind of curse piece. And I think one of the things I really liked about the book was it's it's great to be you know self help and and offer all this advice but it's very practical in terms of you know thinking about if you are in a service business think about your clients you know think about that matrix of who's really um, difficult to you know the high maintenance clients and and whether they actually bring you much profit and and those those clients perhaps who um, you know tick along they 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 bring in the revenue and they're low maintenance and um, you know you you mentioned looking after them and but it's about going through intentionally and looking at uh, whether you want those clients at all tell me a bit about why you thought that was important early on in the book it it, it, it starts with talking about if you look at your existing client base and work out effectively who are the where the who are the good clients and who are the bad clients, and it's slightly more challenging when you have a client that's a nightmare but actually very high profit. And so, what the book guides the reader in is kind of like take the time firstly take the time to step away from the day to day, which is really hard for some people to do that, and effectively plot them on this matrix where you have a combination of. You know, maintenance and um, you know, how high maintenance or low maintenance are versus the profitability. And certainly in our experience, what we, we got to a point where we were like, okay, there's there are a bunch of clients in the high value, low maintenance bucket that, that are a good blueprint for what we want in the future. And that ultimately led us down the track of actually just niching the business and deciding to focus entirely on the life science supply chain. Because um, at the time we did it in 2016 or 15, it was, we had, we had, 30 40 clients from different sectors but it was like a it was like a fog lifting i remember i distinctly remember it happening and being like it was like a not quite a light bulb moment but it was like a clicking together of a jigsaw you know like at the end of a movie when it all comes together it was like that type of sixth sense moment um but actually it wasn't particularly complicated you know you don't need to do an mba to be able to do it it was look at your existing clients and basically work out who the best ones are and is that does that lead you could that lead you down a path of getting more clients like that um and yeah and that, that decision amongst a couple of others were key like some of the most important decisions so again very practical tool that anyone um that can use and it's funny you mentioned service the business was absolutely written for people with service businesses and one of the huge pieces of feedback that i've had from people who've read the book is actually it's just applicable but people with product-based businesses as well, because you could look at that by a, like your product portfolio. Um, and you know, someone like yourself, you mentioned you're not necessarily a business owner, but the second half of the book is absolutely applicable to anyone who I would say is a professional who cares about their career. You have this, when you start writing a book, there's a, you do a vision statement. And my vision statement, like my champagne moment, wasn't like it's going to be an international bestseller or you know it's going to, 
make loads of money far from it actually it was just like i hope this actually helps someone <laughs> and it turns out that it has and that's uh that's been a that's been a really humbling experience and a, one that i'm very proud of and i think one of the things i took from it was the fact that when you're starting a business and you know you're just pleased when people actually come to you and say yes i want to do business with you but it's about sometimes being able to say no yeah, yeah. In the in the early days of, of running remarketing, we we used to take on any projects. We did very little qualification, and I remember one project in particular we took on, and it was a brand project. And I, you know, I knew the guy. It was, and for me, it was like, oh, they're in a really posh location, and actually, that could be a link into a new market. And I was blinded by all the good stuff, right, and not not mindful of actually, have we qualified this client? Do they know what they're getting for their money? And I think, you know, the way I think about it now as I reflect back was, you know, they were buying, they were, they thought they were buying a Ferrari and actually what they were buying was, you know, a a 2001 Fiesta or whatever, being budget, budget based. And, and actually what that led to was a huge misalignment in expectation right at the start. And it got, it was just a horrible project. Like it went, it went really badly for, for both sides, actually, to the point where we rang them up and said, look, we don't want to work with you. We're going to send the money back that you've paid, but we are not the right partner for you. Um, and I remember like the po- the post-mortem that we had, it was like a, what the heck just happened there? And it led to us actually coming up with something called a defense checklist, which basically was, which is refined, been refined over the years, but because there's like the, I suppose the, demographic and firmographic like segmentation pieces you're like you know are are they in the right sector do they have the budget how are they funded what's the ownership like the nuts and bolts stuff you can but then there's a softer element of it which is like well are they are they nice people like do we want to work with them and and some of it is just gut right like it's it's hard and you have to trust your team on making the decisions for the right reason but where it gets much more complicated is if you have an existing client and then the personnel changes and you end up with a nightmare that's that's something we we've had to deal with a lot. Um, and equally, it can go for the client side as well, right? When a client buys into you guys and you have a team on there and then the team changes and the chemistry fits not there. But in particular, I think for us, you know, um, there's, a, there's, I mean, again, I'm not going to curse, but like, you know, I'll use an American phrase, but you know, it's like, you know, is this person a douche? I'm going to say it. like, they're literally on our list. It says, is this person an idiot? Or is it only a bad person? Are they a bad egg? Do you get a bad feeling? Whatever the right phrase is. And if the answer is, yes then we walk away from the opportunity um and back to your thing about just saying no what we found is like you know the energy you burn on those opportunities and the stress it causes and the implications it has for your team and your organization well outweigh whatever money you can make off that opportunity and the other thing is then your time burn doing that comes at the expense of you could be out looking for growing existing relationships right and so um that's that's some of the saying no piece from a business perspective that we found I, I always encourage business owners what I would say is it, you can't it's difficult to do on day one I think what you've got to work out is is as you start growing a business you kind of you find your way and then you kind of work out you know it's a bit like we've talked about like what where how to be intentional what type of stuff we want what are our clients like what are the dream clients look like and I think once you have the courage to do that um, and for us, we did because we were in a sector that we knew had a huge lot of potential. Then saying no became a lot more comfortable, but it wasn't in the early days because you were just like, oh my God, I'm 
I've got bills to pay, I've got salaries to pay, do we say no to this opportunity? But you have to stick to your guns and stick to your morals and stick to your values, and that, that, was, that was important to us. You're listening to Why Small Business Matters. Find out how Northumbria University can help your business thrive through the Help to Grow Management Programme, delivered by leading small business and enterprise experts from Northumbria University with the support of leading figures from industry and experienced entrepreneurs. The programme supports senior managers of small and medium-sized businesses to boost their business's performance, resilience and long-term growth. The 12-week programme is 90% funded by the government and the fee payable by participants is £750 and has been designed to allow participants to complete it alongside full-time work. The in-depth, high-quality curriculum supports you to build your capabilities in leadership, innovation, digital adoption, employee engagement, marketing, responsible business and financial management. By the end of the programme, you'll develop a business growth plan to help you lead your business to realise its potential. To find out more about the programme, the modules, eligibility and fees and delivery dates, go to northumbria.ac.uk slash help to grow. You're listening to Why Small Business Matters. Today I'm joined by Roman Segal, founder and global president of Ram Marketing and author of the book Floundering Founder. Now, in 2015, you described that the business was really growing, changing. You had opportunities with international clients, a hectic home life, the kids, etc. Um, but you say in retrospect, you were floundering, hence the, the name of the book, I suspect, um, and that you had a bit of a period of self-doubt or even imposter syndrome. Um, how did you overcome that? I read a book. That's how I did. I, mean, I, uh, <laughs> I read a book called, um, I think it's called A Miracle Morning on the Morning Miracle. I always get it the wrong way around and it's funny because quite a lot of the conversation today Sarah has been has been around the types of components that led to the the overwhelm and it's not and what I found in speaking to other founders and entrepreneurs is is I'm not the only guy or girl that goes through that there's definitely a point and it's funny because the book effectively starts at that point which is you're going through a crap time you feel like you're in a rut you can't I like I, I think I, I described like how I was feeling at that time, and you just, I just felt a bit lost actually because you, like the the early success and the adrenaline and the momentum had kind of the novelty had, had worn out, and I was just in this position where I was like there was more stress than anything. You know, clients some clients weren't happy, had more people. You always got issues with staff, and then you know. The work wasn't as good as it used to be. You, you know, this real, you know, and then at home life, we've got two young kids and that brings its own challenges. And and I remember just being like, God, this is just like, this is just too much to take on. And and I read that book called The, uh, the Miracle Morning. And, and, you know, it's a very like Americanized book. And, but actually like the fundamental of it is, you know, find some time, make that time for yourself in the morning and use that time to effectively, you know, what, however you want to use it, but the book talks about doing affirmations, meditating, exercising, uh, visualizing the day. Like it, there's a handful of things. Um, I can't remember what the six are. I've probably got the book behind my head somewhere. Um, but I basically thought, well, you know what, I'm going to, and it was, it was the end of 2015. It was the January. Of, and I remember um, we were in, we were in York and I was doing the half marathon in York and I was sat in a McDonald's at like six o'clock in the morning is the only place I could get a coffee with my journal. And I started journaling around that time as well. And so 
and it, it almost like was that getting being more intentional with myself and being more structured with where I was spending my time and what was important to me and having clear goals for the year and a vision that almost then was kind of bled into the business as well in a positive way. And so, you know, that it just, that juncture just was ultimately was the domino, I think, which led to our decision to just niche the company or ultimately our decision to move to the U S to hire a CEO. Like a lot of the big decisions came off the back of that particular period of life. Um, and just, it's a bit like, I suppose, sometimes I think you get a book that hits you at the right time of life. You know, there are books that you can start reading, but like, it's just not for me. And you can go back to them five years later and they seem more, more relevant. Um, and the, that book just hit me at just the right time of life. And it's a bit like I hope my book does for people, which is, you know, that, that message that the guy sent me on LinkedIn, it just got him at the right time of life, right? Which was, it was exactly what he needed at this juncture to just basically be like, you know what? It's all going to be okay. Sort your crap out. You'll be good. <laughs> that was a bit, it's a similar type of concept for me. And talking of books, you advocate carving time out each day for learning. Um, so you say learn every single day, look after your brain like your body. Um, you've mentioned you run marathons, read a book, but why nonfiction? That's a, that's a good question. I mean, for me, I, th- I suppose everyone gets their fix of fantasy from wherever they want right so if you know and for me personally books are these amazing things they'll outlast our grandkids and our grandkids grandkids and like books will be around forever there's a timeless quality to a book in my in my opinion on the non-fiction side of things i think you know if you have a good book whether it be a self-help book or a marketing marketing book i'm actually reading a book at the minute about grieving and dealing with grief now i actually haven't have to dealt with grief i've just got people around me who are dealing with it and i kind of felt like you know what i just need to proactively understand what they're kind of going through in, in order for me to be empathetic and actually it's, i'm learning so much just from reading this book and it, just as the book said i read for 10 15 minutes a, a day and i wouldn't get that learning personally from reading a fiction book now you know my wife and i decided because you know because the weather's so bad you know things got cancelled last night and we went to the cinema. We went to the cinema in Newcastle and we watched um, the, the Black Panther 2 film. And it was amazing, you know, two and a half hours of just like letting your mind go. So I think, I think, I think it's probably more a mindset of whatever your medium is that you learn from, like then apply yourself to that medium. For me personally, it's books and podcasts. Books and podcasts are the two that I spend the most time with. Now, some people do audiobooks. Some people want to do like I never do learning like online. Like I don't do like YouTube videos and tutorials and all that kind of stuff. But there's tons of those types of things. So, I think, I think I say in the book actually is like you need to work out how like what you how you best learn. It's a bit like you know what frustrates me about schools sometimes is like they, they assume every kid learns exactly the same way, which is not always the same. I look at my own boys and like they all learn slightly differently. And so for me. You almost first and foremost need to like work out within yourself. So like you, Sarah, like okay, I you know you you seem to gravitate towards that say podcast because you're on the move or you know you just like to you like to get lost in them. And then you, I'm not saying don't get your fix of nonfiction, um, you know, or fictional stuff elsewhere. But once you work that out, then I think like lean into that medium, whatever works for you. And so you know, I struggle. I think you know. It's funny because one of the books that I've read this year that's really, uh, really changed me since I suppose my books come out is a book called Digital Minimalist 
by a guy called Carl Newport. And it just talks about how our phones and social media have just, you know, dominated our lives. And I mean, I've spent the last six, seven months basically trying to wean myself off social media. Um, and it's been really hard actually, like, like I'm clearly addicted. Like that's how we, like I have a, we all probably have an addiction to our phones and we just don't realize it. Um, and again, like if I think of how, for me personally, like getting those learnings from a book rather than sitting on my phone all day is, is healthier for me personally. Um, and you just have to make the time to do it, right? That's the key thing. I think, uh, you know, <laughs> whenever I'm sat on a train or if I'm on a flight and I just see, or in a restaurant and I just see people on their phones just scrolling away, going down Facebook or Instagram or whatever, their TikTok, whatever they're doing, I'm just like, God, you just, you're, you're wasting your life. You're absolutely. So when people say to me, oh, well, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't find the time to like, and I'm like, I'm like, pass your phone. I'll be like, right, you were on you. And my mum's like, my mum, like, I'm never on my phone. I'm never on my iPad. You know, you look at her analytics, she's on like seven hours a day on Facebook or whatever. I'm like, it turns out you, you, you're not telling the truth. So like, I don't buy people don't have the time. Like, it doesn't matter how busy you are. Like, if it's important enough to you, it comes back to what you said, the, the great question. It comes back to intentionality. If you really care that much about it, if you really, if it's that important to you, you will do it. And if it's not, you won't do it. And so, again, it's for me, it's that alignment with like what you, what you try not to regret or what do those goals look like and then make times that could make what are the activities and habits that contrib- contribute to those goals and then make them just part of your life. And so for me, I think a, a massive, I suppose, learning since reading the Morning Miracle book is just habit building. Like building good habits in life is just it's so hard to get them going. And once you've got them, it's like they are habits for life. And so, um, and, and again, my experience has been like, if you can build good habits, they tend to kill the bad habits just by their very, very nature. Um, and so, yeah, so that's some thinking around that as well. As part of carving time out for learning, you mentioned podcasts, but you have your own podcast now. Tell me a little bit about that, Molecule to Market. Yeah, so um we launched uh, Molecule to Market in April 2020. It just happened to coincide with with COVID, and it's very very focused on the sector that we operate in. So the two the two businesses that I'm co-founder of, um, or founder of or founder of one, remotely and co-founder of Lead Candidate, they both operate in the same sector that that I've already mentioned. And what there wasn't was any kind of what well, like a digital platform for conversation. It's all very traditional events related. Um, exhibitions and trade conferences and all that kind of stuff and what happened is i i love podcasts as i mentioned i was like god we've got there's got to be a there's got to be something in this um but getting a podcast off the ground as you know it takes time and being able to get the guests and then there's the production and the edit and all the all the good stuff that comes with it it's a real commitment and you know back to some of the themes we've talked about today like the best podcasts have required like discipline and consistency. There is a graveyard of five, six episode podcasts out there like that people were like, I'm going to have podcasts in the last two minutes. So for me, I, I said like, right, we'll give it a year. And just because cause it coincided with COVID, I think oh, the popularity of the podcast, and it's not like millions of people listen to it or anything like that. It's more, it, it, it was something I really enjoyed doing first and foremost. Like I was interviewing people a bit like yourself. You're like, you'll just meet interesting guests and you'll learn from them and you then build a connection with them which was one of the things which was one of the positive side effects that i didn't see happening which was i was i've been able to build relationships with people 
that there's no way I could have built that relationship with them otherwise. And they see you in a different light, right? They don't see you as a salesman that's trying to sell them something. They see you as, oh, that's the person that interviewed me and put me in a good light and all that kind of stuff. So there's a real psychological thing, I think, with with podcasting that you can use to your advantage because you're giving people a profile to talk about whatever they want to talk about and make them look good on the whole, which like that, I always say to my guests, I'm like, I'm not here to catch you out. I'm actually here to show your best self. Um, and, all, you know, the, the business benefit for us is it just helps us build our, our network. But it's also helped just position us and our businesses like as a thought leader and a facilitator. And, you know, I it's funny because, you know, yesterday I got asked to do like a the industry that we work in, like a bit of a roundup of the major trends of the year. Now, if I rewind back three years ago, that would have been a massive heavy lift for me because I would have had to go away, do a little research or get my team to do it. And I was like, you know what? I've actually got, we've done 40 podcasts this year. I've got all my notes. I've got all the summaries. And all I did is went through them, plus what's in my mind from the learning. And I was like, it took me like half an hour to do it. And it might be terrible to be fair, but uh, I'm sure it's not. But I suppose like that, like if you if you lean into it and learn as much as possible from them and for us it's learning about the industry we work in but also learning from leaders so people that have run you know i've interviewed people that have run billion dollar companies people that the one guy i interviewed recently called uh, marcelo he started a he was part of a, a a drug development startup company um i can't remember where was it i think it was not wasn't wasn't an alzheimer's drug i can't remember what the drug product therapeutic area was and um you know they they started and 14 months later, the team sold the business for $825 million, which is an incredible story in its own right. And then the drug got to market and it's helping patients all over the world. Like really brilliant story. Like it's rare you meet people like that in the industry. And if I rang the guy up now and he, he lives between uh, Boston and, and, and Canada, if I rang him and said, hey, do you want to go for dinner? I'm, I'm in I'm in Toronto or Montreal. He, I guarantee he'll say yes. And and they see you in a different light, which is genuinely fascinating. And uh, I don't know, probably similar to yourself, so I just enjoy doing it. Like, I really enjoy podcasting. Like, I love interviewing people. I love learning from it. I love reflecting back on it. And then, it, and people like it. That's the thing. Like, we get great feedback. We've had loads of good reviews. Um, and, you know, when I was being out and about recently traveling, people know who I am, not like in a celebrity sense, but they, they'll then associate me with the podcast because it's done well and we've got great quality guests on there's like a, a halo effect if you like on on the, the projects that i uh so that's i mean you know for anyone listening like if if you can create a podcast that i think that's niche enough and that isn't being done already or you can do it much better than what's out there like but i would really commit to it like really be disciplined about it like don't be one of those statistics of like another dead podcast like do it and do it really really well which is um, you know, it's funny, like my next call after this is like with our team of like, right, how do we, you know, combination of your questions, like, right, how do we take it to the next level? What does next year look like? What does the next 18 months look like? That's a exciting conversation I've got, I've got coming up. But again, it's a good product. It's doing well. It's not necessarily money generating. It's actually just something that's really good from a positioning perspective. But rather than standing still and doing the same thing as we've always done, well, we are thinking about, right, how do we make it better? How do we improve it? And I think that's just good practice with anything that you're doing before we finish i've got a quick fire round of questions for you so i'm going to throw things at you and i want a quick one sentence back from you sure. um delegate and let things go do it <laughs> <laughs>
That's my answer. Just do it. <laughs> Just do it. Okay. Don't judge. Network and cherish social interaction. Get off your phone. <laughs> Next one. Lean in to becoming a leader. That's trickier, that one, that one. Um, I think either people want to follow you or they don't. Yeah. That's a, it's, it's a, I mean, obviously, that's a big That's a big part of what my learning is. It, it's probably the thing I'm still on that journey where as our team, like, you know, a quick anecdote is, you know, I still think I'm one of the gang, but I'm not, you know, and, and people who join our company now, I go to the office today and meet some of the new team. Like they see me in a completely different light than I see myself. They see me as this author, the guy that founded the company and blah, 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 all the fancy stuff. And I'm like, I think I'm just me, right? Like, I'm just like, oh no, I'm just like a normal person. And just, I think being very self-aware, I think is really important in terms of as you become a leader in, in an organization. Don't ignore your gut instinct. Best advice ever. <laughs> for, especially for entrepreneurs, like if it feels a bit funny, then follow your instinct. Final one, beware the curse of complacency. Yeah, this is the one that worries me the most as we grow as a business. There's a, there's a quote, I think, in the book. I did the, um, I was, I did the keynote speaking at the uh, Ward Hadaway Fastest 50, the fastest growing Northeast companies recently. And I started that with the quote from Bill Gates, which is, um, success is a lousy teacher because it seduces people, smart people into thinking they cannot fail. And so once people have had a bit of success, people can drop into a state of complacency, like it's back to that standing still and we'll, we'll, it'll be here forever. And I think that's the thing that keeps me up at night, which is like when you get successful, you have a target on your back. It's like football teams, like, you know, it's like the best teams always have to raise their game because they're the ones that everyone wants to beat. And in order to like, if you look at elite athletes or elite teams, like they have to keep themselves at the absolute kind of peak of their performance. Otherwise, everyone wants to take them down. So I think that's something that I'm very mindful of and I certainly don't want to happen in, in our organisation. Raman, thank you so much. been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Thank you, Sarah. I have to say you're... Um, I think you might be the best questioner I've definitely come across. Like your questions were really, like, you know, it's funny when you do, I do quite a few interviews and not everyone does their research, I would say. And you can kind of, because you know, you often fall into conversations and like, oh, tell me about your background. Whereas you, obviously you'd read the book and you'd done your research. And you know, this one interview I took another, I'm like super impressed with how well uh, your questions were. You really kind of got me thinking, which is, uh, which is credit to you. And, and thanks to thanks for having me on the show. And honestly, you know, for anyone that that listening, you know, if you go onto the romanticgal.com website, there's a couple of free chapters. I think the first 50 pages are free on the website. You can download them for free if you like it. Then you can go to Amazon and buy the book. But um, yeah, so just kind of easy for your listeners to, to kind of get a taste of, of the book to see if it's for them. My thanks again to Raman Sigal, founder and global president of Ram Marketing. If you've enjoyed today's episode, why not go to the full list of Why Small Business Matters podcasts? We've talked Research, Test and Validate from Mark Rennie of Wobbly recently, Breaking the Tradition of Knowledge Exchange with Kevry, and talking to Charlotte Keenan at Goldman Sachs and Michael Heyman from Seven Hills about how SMEs can drive the economy. So you don't miss the next episode. Like or subscribe on your favourite app, and why not leave us a review? Look forward to speaking to you on the next episode of Why Small Business Matters. Why Small Business Matters.